139 verses 1 through 5 is what I'm going to read today. And then we'll go to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from, far, from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and You lay Your hand upon me. Father, I thank You today for this, this portion of Scripture that has just blessed me so much this week. And now I pray that Your Word would go forth as You promise it will to touch hearts and convict lives. Lord, whatever is necessary in this room today and with the folks watching online, I pray that Your will would be done. I pray that the Spirit would do His work. And then I pray, Lord, that that people that need to make decisions would make those decisions today. And uh, we'll give you all the thanks for everything that that happens here in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'll sit here with you for a minute. The title of my message today is, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. You remember that song? I, I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. I thought a lot about that song this week, too. But... What I want to say is this, and, and I, a lot of this stuff I'm just going to say today is from, you know, experience, not just this week with what went on with me, but with my life, really. But have you ever realized how fast life can change? Just like that. I was up here last Sunday just fine. I didn't have any idea that morning that a few hours later I would be in ER with blood thinner going through an IV in my arm. But it happens that fast, guys. Life is uncertain and unexpected things can and will happen in your life. And they're unavoidable. No matter how safe you try to be, you can, you can hide in your house and wrap yourself in bubble wrap, but you won't be able to protect yourself from every circumstance and situation that is going to come into your life. But there is a way, or rather there is someone, that's already gone before you and already knows Everything that was going to happen, I had no idea what was going to happen Sunday night, but God did. He was already there. He was already working, like we sang in that song. Even when I don't see it, you're working. He was working. And I thought about that a lot this week. You know, how many times do we, do we ask those questions to ourselves, or maybe we even ask them of God? You know, if, God, if I, if, if, that's a little word that carries a lot of meaning, doesn't it? If, if I only knew what was going to happen, if I only could have prepared ahead of time, if I only had an answer to what I was going through, if I only knew what to do, I'm in the middle of this mess, and I don't know what to do. If, 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 that question resonates with us. It did with me this week a lot. And here's the answer that I got, that the Holy Spirit gave me. He said, you may never get an answer to all your ifs, But I'll give you something better than that. I'll give you the very presence of the one who already knows the answer to all the ifs and will walk you through those. He said, you don't need to know the answers. You just need to know the one who's walking with you. And that's hard for us because we still want answers. You know, even though if we can get an idea that he is with us and he'll never leave us and he's holding on to us, the questions still linger. And I think that's where ultimately you have to let faith be stronger than the question. You have to trust Him to do what is right. Because if He is good, He's going to do what is good. You know? And so, 
I thought about this topic today. I know who holds tomorrow, and I read this text over and over. It's been on my heart all week. I, I, I couldn't even go anywhere else. Tried to get in Daniel to do a message, and this was it. This was it. I had no doubt. This is where he wanted me. But I want to talk today for a few minutes about the omniscience of God. You say, oh boy, that's a big word, and I don't even know what that means, and this is going to be really boring. I promise, well, I hope it won't be. I hope it won't be boring to you. The omniscience of God just means He's all-knowing. The omniscience of God means that He knows the past, the present, and the future. Now, there is no past, present, and future with an eternal God, but there is for us. And so, from our perspective, He knows all that. He knows what we've done in the past. He knows what we're going through today. And He knows what's up ahead around the corner that we don't. Okay? He knows it all. He has limitless knowledge about everything. God doesn't learn anything. You ever thought about that? He doesn't learn anything. He's not getting new information as it happens. He already knows. God isn't blindsided by circumstances. We are. He's not. He knows everything that's going to happen. And He's never not aware of you. Sometimes we feel like, God, where are you? He's right where He said He is. Seated in the heavenly places. And He's there. But we look so much at the question and wait for the answer that we miss His presence. Don't be so worried about getting an answer that you miss the one that's already got the answer right with you. He already knows. If He wants you to know, He'll let you know. But if He doesn't, just hold on to Him and let Him go. Let Him lead you. And you'll be okay. Do you see? Alright. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. Here's what I want to try to give you. I want to give you three truths. The classic Baptist three-point outline. Alright? So here it is. Believers, here's my point that I want to give you. Believers, if you're a believer today, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, if you're not, I'm going to talk to you at the end of the sermon about how you can be one, how you can know Jesus. That's the most important thing of anything else. But for now, I want to focus on those that do know Jesus, that are followers of Him. And I want you to know this. As a believer, you can trust your future to God's care. You can trust your future to God's care. I want to give you three truths today. Look at verses 1 and 2. From our text. First point is this. God communes with His people. There's an intimacy between God's people and God Himself. If you read down through this and study those verses that I read, you would find eight words, eight different Hebrew words that talk about God's knowledge towards us as His people. And as human beings, if we look around this room, we're all human beings. We have common needs, don't we? There are certain things we have in common. We need food. We need water. We need shelter. We need love. We need companionship. Those are universal human needs. Regardless of your economic background, your social background, your ethnic background, those are common to all of humanity. But then when we think about it, not only do we have common needs, we have individual needs. Some of you in this room are going through things that I have no idea about. You're going through stuff that I've never went through. Maybe I went through something this week that you've never went through. We have individual needs that go above and beyond our common needs. We may all be struggling to some degree with something, but they may not all look the same. Right? 
So David writes these words, and I want you to see something in these verses that stuck out to me the first time I even read it. Look at how personal he is in those first verses. O Lord, You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts. Everything about this is personal for David. He's not just making generalities here. He's not just speaking in in vague terms. He's talking about this close, personal relationship that he has with God. And you say, "Well, well, that's great for David, but what does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with me because God does not change. And so if God offers this to David... He offers that to me. And He offers this to you. Because God wants to know you and God does know you. Intimately. Personally. Individually. Sometimes we often think that God is concerned about big problems, but our problems aren't big enough for God to notice. The Bible says He numbers the very hairs on your head. If He can count the hairs on your head, if you got some of you may not have many to count, but if you still got some up there to count... He knows how many's up there. He sure does. Because he, he cares about you. The words that he used, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these kinds of deep technical things, but it, but it is interesting when you, when you look at these words in, in verse 20. He searched me. That means to investigate something. It's literally an archaeological term that means to dig down in the ground and find something. God is searching. He is digging under the surface. Have you ever thought you knew someone only to find out that they were not the person you thought they were? On the outside, things looked one way. But when you get down under the surface, you discover something different sometimes about people, don't you? God says, I'm going to investigate. I know you. I get down under the surface. You may come into church on Sunday and put on a show like everything's okay, but God knows deep down your struggles. He knows what you're battling. He knows what you're dealing with. And He wants you to get that to the surface. He wants to bring it into the light. He wants you to confess it and turn from it so that you can get healing from it. As long as you keep that buried in the ground, it's going to continue to eat at you. It's going to continue to cause you problems. God searches us and knows us. The Word of God does the same thing. He says also that you've known me. He's... He's acquainted with us. That word means someone that lives with you. A family member or someone close that that lives in the home with you. Who knows you best in life? Your family, your wife, your kids, people you are around that you live with. It's easy to be somebody out there in the world, but when you come home, the real you comes out. If you want to know what somebody really is, ask ask their family members that live with them. They know you best. And then in verse 2, he says, you discern, you discern my thoughts. God has insight into the things that we think. He understands our thought process. He understands what we're going through. It's interesting to me as, as I read those things and I thought about that, that, that God communes with us, that God knows us personally, that God knows us intimately. And you think, well, well when does that start to happen? You know, how, how long has God known about me? If you were to read down, I won't go to these verses, but verses 13 through 16, probably these verses are the most well-known in this psalm because when we talk about right to life and, and conception, 
uh, life beginning at conception, we always quote verses 13 through 16. But in the context, David is simply making the point that God has known him since he was formed in the womb. It didn't just start at some point in David's life. God made him. He formed him. He created him. Specifically, individually. And He's known David and He's known you. I want you to hear this today. I felt like this needed to be said. You are no accident. So many people today, especially these young people, I've heard them say, I, I'm, nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. I was just an accident. I don't care if, if, if some adult told you that. You were no accident. You were formed and made in the image of God. And you have a purpose and God has a plan for you. Don't ever for a moment think that your life is, has no value. So many people today committing suicide because they feel like their life has no purpose and that they're just not loved and they're just not cared for. And if they could only understand that God Himself knows you and made you and created you because He cares for you, that your life does have purpose and it does have meaning and it does have value, and you'll never fully understand that until you have the relationship with Him that He wants you to have. And then your life, will, you will see it. It already has value and purpose. You just can't see it because you're disconnected from the One that gives you value and purpose. But when that relationship is there and when it's strong and when it's growing and vibrant, you will understand how much you are loved. You will understand just how much you are cared for. And God will do great things in your life. Listen to Isaiah 43.1. Isaiah writes, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. Listen to this. I have called you by name. You are mine. Have you ever stopped to think that the God of the universe calls you by name? He knows your name. Not just someone else. But you, you are valuable enough to Him to be known by Him and called by your name. I think about that and I think about how good God's been to me. That God knew all about me before I ever gave a thought to Him. I wasn't always a pastor. I certainly wasn't always a Christian. And I can tell you right now that church was the last place that you would find me on a Sunday. But all that changed when I came to know Jesus. Or rather, when Jesus found me. I didn't look for Him. He came looking for me. And you're here today, I believe, because God got you here. He gave you another day of life and He brought you here for a reason. I think that any time we open up this book and read the Word of God, that there is something happening in your heart. It's either getting softened or it's getting hardened. But something is happening. And only you can answer what God wants you to do today. But He knows you and He cares about you. And He's not waiting for you to figure it all out and get all your questions answered and clean your act up first and then be worthy to come to Him. He already knows everything about you. The secret stuff that you hide from your wife and your kids and your boss and you don't want anybody to know about, God knows all about that. He does. He's just waiting for you to get honest about it and deal with it and bring it to the surface and bring it to Him. He already took care of it. You say, how did He take care of it? 
right there. 2,000 years ago, the sinless, spotless, perfect Son of God walked a mile, beaten and mocked and spit upon, with his beard plucked out and spit on his face and a crown of thorns on his head and 39 lashes on his back carrying an 80-pound beam on his back and walked up that hill because he knew you. And he loved you that much that he would go and die in your place. That's the Jesus that we're talking about today. That's the Jesus that knows you and that's paid the debt that you owed. And He's not here today to try to collect from you an amount of money because you don't have enough money to give Him to pay it back. He's not asking you to be a better person and have good morals so that you can earn it or deserve it. He's asking you today to confess, to admit to admit your need. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You have got to realize that you are guilty before a holy God. If you die tonight and you have not had your sins paid for, you will go to hell. That's not preacher trying to scare you. That's not religion trying to manipulate you. If there is a God, if there is a heaven and a hell, if this book is true, and I believe it is, and I believe we can prove that it is without a shadow of a doubt, then you have got to ask yourself, am I ready to stand before a holy God with my sins uncovered? The answer is no, you are not. Because a holy God cannot look on sin. And you will remain, you're separated from Him now, and you will be separated from Him for all eternity. But if you'll turn to Him today in faith alone, that just means you trust Him, then what Jesus did will be applied to your account. And you'll be clean and you'll be whole. And you'll start to change. I'm still changing. It happened to me 21 years ago now. And I'm still changing. God has been good. Because He knows me. And He knows you. I want you to see what else. Not only does God know us, but God clears away for us. Look at verses 3 and 4 from our text. He says, You search out my path, and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. There's a, a newer Bible translation, probably a lot of you don't, haven't heard about it. It's called the Literal Standard Bible. And it is, it is just a really, really rock-solid, accurate translation. And it says verse 3 perfectly. It says, You have fanned my path and my lying down. You have fanned the path. You have cleared the way is what that's saying literally in the Hebrew. God goes before us and He clears the trail for us. Have you ever had somebody, maybe you're on your way to church or maybe they left before you for work and they call you and they say, hey, don't take Stallhaver Road, the train's on the tracks. Hey, don't take Millville, there's a bad accident, you need to go around another way. They already had went ahead of you and they saw what was up ahead and they warned you to go a different way. That's what this is saying that God does for us. He clears the path. He makes a way. He makes sure that we go where we need to go. Isaiah 45.2 says, I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the, iron, through the bars of iron. Let me ask you something this morning. Maybe you haven't thought about this. I thought about it a lot this week. How many times do you think God protected you and you weren't even aware of it? How many times do you think God has went before you and cleared stuff out of your path too many. Amen. Amen. You can't even count them. 
God has shut doors before that you were trying to kick down. And He shut those doors and, and you were upset about that and you were mad at Him about that. And if you knew what was on the other side of that door that He was protecting you from, you'd fell on your face and thanked Him for shutting that door. And maybe now looking back, you say, yeah, buddy. But at the time, you didn't see it. And God's opened doors and He's had to drag you through those kicking and screaming. Because you didn't want to go through that door. I'm up here today because God took me kicking and screaming into the call to be a preacher. I didn't want this. I didn't ask for this. It wasn't on my list of career choices that I brought to my high school guidance counselor. This was the call of God on my life. And I went, but I didn't go willingly. I went because the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone. And I went because there was nothing else that I could do other than obey Him to have any kind of peace in my life. God brings us through troubled waters. He brings us through the fiery furnace. He shuts the mouths of the lions for us. And a lot of times we're not even aware of what He's doing all around us. There's a quote, I don't know, I don't think, I, I don't think they have a name attributed to it. You know the story of little Zacchaeus? Kids sing the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Right? Well, this, this tax collector wanted to see Jesus but he was too short and the crowd was all around and, and he wanted to see Jesus, but he couldn't see Him because of his short stature. So Zacchaeus finds a sycamore tree and he climbed up in the tree so he could get a bird's eye view of Jesus. And there's a quote. I love this quote. I think about it a lot. It says, Long before Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, the tree was already planted to meet his need. You think about that. That old sycamore tree that he climbed up was much older than even Zacchaeus was. But God had put that tree there for a specific purpose on a specific day at a specific time to meet the need of Zacchaeus. Just a something small like that. You look outside, how many trees do we drive by and how many things? Imagine that every one of those was placed there for a specific need and a specific reason. God does all that for us. And this is what I wanted to get to today. Because I want to share, a lot of you know this story, and I don't want to bore you with it. But I want to share it because God told me to share it, number one, and because I hope it helps somebody. I grew up in a home that, that had a lot of good morals, but wasn't big on Christianity, per se. We went to church twice a year on Christmas and Easter, the Catholic Church, and did that just out of obligation. And so my idea of, of church was simply something that you do at certain times of the year. It's a ritual. It's a routine. There's nothing really special about it. It's just something you do. And if it was up to me, I wouldn't do it. But because I was a kid at the time, I had to do what parents told me to do. And maybe some of you are feeling like that. You're like, when I get 18, I'm done with this. I hope not. But the reality and the statistics show that that is the case for the majority. And so before mom and dad quit dragging you here, I hope that you've settled in your heart that you want to be here or somewhere. If it ain't here, I hope your relationship with Jesus brings you here, not just mom and dad dragging you here. But by the time I got out on my own, graduated high school and, and acting like a fool and doing all the things that I wanted to do and all the things that young people do, um, I didn't know where I was going in life. I had no clue what I was doing, where I was going, or how I was going to get there. 
And I bounced around from one bad job to another and was miserable. I had that continual black cloud over my head because I, I, I put it there myself most of the time. If, if you're always negative, don't be surprised when that follows you around. You know, you, I'm not saying you speak things into existence per se, but your attitude sure does have a long way, go a long way about how you look at things in life. And if you're continually negative, life is awful tough for you. It's going to be. And I was upset about everything all the time, blamed everybody else for my problems. And my mom got me a job at a factory. And I didn't want to go, but I had to pay bills. She said, if you don't work, you're not living here. You've got to have a job if you're going to stay here. And so I said, okay, I'll go down here and get this job. And I got that job and I hated it. I hated it. It was just a menial job, just doing general labor stuff. And I met a guy one day that was an old contractor. He was a contractor for maintenance department that they had to come in and service the machines down there. And he was just a good old boy from Kentucky. Had a mullet and, and about 50 pieces of gum in his mouth every day and never quit smiling. And he'd drive me crazy with that goofy smile. I can see him. He's a preacher now. Preaches in Independence, Kentucky. Got a church down there. But big, big mullet, big piece of gum hanging out of his mouth and that goofy grin. And he would come up every day and talk to me. And I would just think, man, I wish he'd shut up. And a few times I, I think I probably told him to shut up and leave me alone. But after a while, you know, he didn't preach at me the first day or the first month. I got to know him a little bit and, and tolerated him. And, you know, then he started on me a little bit with this religion stuff. And, and I just kind of, you know, whatever, in one ear and out the other kind of thing. And he asked me a question one day, and I couldn't shake it. He said, if, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And I said, yes, I would. I, I mean, I was confident. Yes, I would. He said, why? And I said, because I'm a good person. I said, I've never done anything real bad in my life. I live better than most. Yes, I would go. And he, he, didn't, he didn't correct me. He didn't, he didn't chastise me about that answer a bit. He said, would you do me a favor? And I said, what's that? And he said, would you get a Bible and read the Gospel of John one chapter a day for 21 days with an open mind and an open heart? And see what God sh shows you in that thing. And I said, yeah, I'll do that. But the reason I said yeah was not because I was really concerned about what the Bible said or what he thought. I was just trying to prove that I was going to heaven because I was a good person. And I said, so I'll read this book and I will prove to you that I'm okay. So I went and talked to my mom and I said, Mom, I need a Bible. And she she. You know, it was like, what on earth? What do you need that for? We didn't have Bibles at the house, but she had a little paperback Catholic Bible, and I said, I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't have to be some leather-bound thing. I took that thing home, and I started to read it. And about the second or third day I was reading that thing, they had a show on that evening on television, The Miracles of Jesus. Now, this was a secular show, so obviously it was not biblical. But it just, it just continued to give me things to think about. You know, they had a statue that supposedly cried tears and all kinds of goofy stuff. But it just, it just started to get me thinking about just supernatural stuff in general. 
And so I'm reading John. I'm watching that movie. I got this goofy guy at work with the gum and the smile talking to me every day. And all that time, God had already went ahead. He had already cleared a path. He already prepared that job. He already prepared that maintenance guy. He already had that show on the television and that little Catholic Bible sitting in my mom's closet. All that stuff coming together. And I think I got to about John 6. And I was at work that day and I said, I don't understand what I'm reading. But I do understand enough to know that there's something wrong in my life. The, the answer was I going to heaven was no longer I'm good enough. There was something missing and it was evident. And at the time, we lived in a little apartment building. If you go down Washington Boulevard where the UDF is on the corner of Maine and Washington, we lived in the first apartment, top floor, right window. That was where me and my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, were living together. She had been saved or made a profession of faith when she was a teenager and got away from God, and we were living together there in that apartment. I came home. She was gone. I came home, got that little Bible out, got on the floor in my living room and was reading that thing. John Hagee was on the television. This is before every message he preached was something about prophecy when he actually preached other things. And he was preaching. I don't even remember what he was preaching that day, but it was slapping me right in the face. He was preaching, I was reading, and God was working. And he got a hold of me. I had a big, remember them big old curio, uh, entertainment centers that people used to have where the televisions hung on the walls? And how we had the television in there and a bottom shelf, the whole bottom compartment. I had nothing packed as full as you could get of the pornography. Every kind of pornography you could get was stuffed in them drawers. And God just got a hold of me. And He showed me that I was lost. And He showed me that if I died tonight, by golly, I wasn't on my way to heaven. That I needed a Savior. And right there in that room, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know, I didn't know what you were supposed to do. But I remember saying that. I said, God, if You're real, I need You. I need You to do what this guy at work's telling me you can do and forgive me. And I'm telling you, as much as I'm telling you, as sure as I'm sitting here, the room, I mean, everything just got bright, like, like your eyes get washed. Like the colors were brighter. Everything was just different looking, just physically looked different. I grabbed those, I got a big garbage bag, two big garbage bags. I grabbed all those tapes. I cut all the uh, VHS. Some of you don't even know what that is. That's back when we have VHS. I cut all the tapes so nobody would get them things. I cut them, took all that crap, and put it in the dumpster at our apartment. I came back in. I walked in the bedroom. I was looking out the window. There was a big tr oak tree out in front of the apartment. There was two little kids playing down there. I'm telling you, the sky was bright. The grass was green. I mean, everything just looked different. And I felt God say, He didn't say a voice that I heard. I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. And He said, do you see those two kids out there? The innocence and the simplicity? He said, that's how you are now. You're my child. And my wife came home. I told her what happened. I said, I don't know what on earth I'm supposed to do now. I said, but I do know that this is wrong. That, that we can't stay like this. I said, <clears throat> either, either I've got to move back home or you've got to move back home. Until, until we're ready to get married. And we was both ready. Or at least she told me she was. Too late now. But, <laughs> but uh, was a few, we went down. I got saved. I think on a Tuesday. It was on Tuesday. I went down on Friday and got a marriage license. And we got married two weeks later. 
And, you know, been married now and going on 23 years. And uh, she's put up with me that long. Give her, give her, give her an amen, church. She's put, on, she's put up with me, put up with me that long. But after I got saved, we found a church. Her grandparents went to church. I didn't know what you were supposed to do. They said, you get baptized. All I wanted to do was what God wanted me to do. If he would have said, you're supposed to move to China and live in a hut, I'd have packed my bags. I, and I mean that. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. Like When I realized what He did for me, there was nothing too big for me to do for Him. And I, think, and I try not to be hard on people because I know everybody's story is different and I know everybody grows different. But I think that's why I struggle so much sometimes as a pastor to have to beg people to just do the basics. Like I, just, it, I struggle and I don't understand why you have to beg Christians to come to church. Why you have to beg Christians to read their Bible? And why you have to beg Christians to just serve in some area? I just don't get that. And like I said, I want to give grace and I want to give patience and time. But I feel like, man, if, if you knew how much God has forgiven me and how much He's done for me, maybe, he hasn't had, maybe your life wasn't as bad as mine was. And I'm glad for that. But He still had to save you. And He still had to die for you. And if, he's, if He died for me, I want to live for Him. And I don't always get it right, guys. I'm not always a 10, but I want to be. I want to be. And when He, when he saved me, that would have been enough. But then He started to deal with me about preaching. And I didn't know what that was. I, I didn't know how to put the sermon together. I'd only been in church a few times in my life at a Catholic church. And I started going to church and I started to try to get involved to do anything I could anywhere there was a need. I, I was, I, it didn't matter. I just wanted to do something for God. And there used to be a little store. I, I hope you all don't mind if I talk for a little bit today. I'm, I like the door. We don't lock the doors and they, they open both ways. So if you got to go, you won't hurt my feelings. But I'm, I'm just going to share today what, what he's put in my heart. Um, there's a little store in Hamilton called Heaven's Covered. used to be in the strip mall on, on Route 4. And I stopped in there one day and there was a book. A, it was a theology book. I didn't know what theology was. Couldn't even spell it. And I, I looked at that thing and I don't know why I was so drawn to that book. And I, and I looked and, and we didn't make nothing back then. I think I made $7 an hour and my wife made 5 so a $30 book back then was a big deal, and I put it back and came home, and I, I told my wife about it. I said, maybe there's this book at this store I went to, and I said, I would really like to have that book. She said, just go get it. I mean, didn't even hesitate. She said, just, just go get it. And I said, do you care? And I, she said, no, go get it. So I ran back down there, and I got that book. And I would spend hours. We had a two-bedroom apartment, and we had the second bedroom. It was just kind of a room. And I would go in that room, and she'd tell you I was in that room for hours every night with that little Catholic Bible and that theology book. And again, I didn't even know why. But God did. He was already ahead of me. He knew I was going to be a preacher. He knew that that call was on my life and He was getting me ready. I, I wasn't in seminary, but I was in school with Him and the Holy Spirit. And then started to get blessed. We got our first home. My daughter was born. We got a bigger house. Got another raise. Got promotions at work. And like some of you, all the stuff in the world started to come in so fast that God took a second 
a back seat. Don't ever let all the blessings become a blockade to God. Because it's easy to do. And you'll, you'll try to justify it and juggle it and say, well, I can have all this stuff and God's still priority. Let's just, let's just call it what it is, guys. You'll get so consumed with life that all of a sudden God isn't the center of that life anymore. He's just not. And you've got to be honest about that. I got away from where I needed to be, and the farther I got away from Him, the more that the sin that I thought was gone started to pop up again. That lust and things that I thought I had forever gotten rid of when I threw in the dumpster that day, all of a sudden began to play in my mind a little bit again. I came home from work on a Wednesday night. Hadn't been to church on Wednesday night in months because I was working 12 hours of my own choice. Didn't have to be. I could have left and made it to church. But I wanted that overtime. Came home, ate dinner, went upstairs, started to feel sick to my stomach. I had had surgery when I was 18 because I went through a bout of illness and nobody knew what it was. And they eventually said, we're just going to have to do exploratory surgery and figure out what's going on with you. He said, I think your appendix is ruptured or about ready to rupture. They went in, did the surgery. I came out. The doctor came in the next morning. I'm still out of it. And he's telling us, you were in surgery for six hours. It's the worst case I've ever seen. You had Crohn's disease. Your bowel was perforated. You were going septic. And another, and another day, your intestines would have ruptured. They were that brittle. He said, we took out, I forget how much at the time, a couple feet, I think, at that time, or close to two feet anyway. And so that was my first wake-up call. That was before I was saved. But then I, I come home, I'm, I'm upstairs, my stomach's hurting, and I, you just know, if you've been through something before and then it happens again, like you know, you don't need a doctor to diagnose you, you know what's happening. And I knew that pain was not just what I ate. And so, typical guy, all the men say amen. We didn't want to go to the doctor. I didn't want to go to the hospital. I said, I'll just sit here for a minute and it'll get better. I don't know why we think sitting there is going to make something better but that's what we do, don't we? Well, I sat there and it got way worse. And so I finally told my wife, I was like, you better get Emily. She was about nine months at the time. I said, you better get Emily ready. We lived in Trenton. Her grandma lived in Seven Mile. I said, maybe we can drop her off at grandma's on the way and get to the hospital. From our house to her grandma's was about two, three minutes. From that drive, that three-minute drive, when we pulled in that driveway, I opened the passenger door. It was in September. No, when was it? I don't even remember. It was cold out. I think it was March. I opened that door and I just rolled out in the front yard and just laid in the grass. I mean, I was so hot and so sick. And I said, just call the squad. So they came, got me, took me to Fort Hamilton, ran all kinds of tests. They said, you've got a blockage in your intestine from where that surgery they did six years ago. You've got scar tissue in there now. It's wrapped around it and choking everything off. We're going to have to go in there and cut that out. So they went in, did surgery, cut that portion of my intestine out. I laid in that hospital for 10 days and I never once thought about God. I thought about getting back to work. I thought about my priorities. I thought about things that I needed to do. But I didn't think about God because God wasn't a priority for a few months He hadn't been. So He wasn't going to be a priority all of a sudden. I came home. My wife stayed with me a few days to make sure I was okay. She went back to work. 
My daughter went to daycare. I was given strict orders by my wife. Stay on the couch. Don't move. And whatever you do, don't go upstairs. So when she went to work, what's the first thing you think I wanted to do? Go upstairs. We had a pull-out... I'm going to stand up for a minute. We had a pull-out couch with those mattresses that are about that thick. I mean, you might as well lay on two-by-fours. And my back was so sore, and I said, man, all I want to do is lay in that bed. That sounded so good to me, to lay in that bed. And I was exhausted, and I knew I wasn't sleeping good, but I was just more exhausted than someone should be. And I said, I'm going to go up in that bed. I'm going to lay down. She won't be home for a while. I'll be back on this hard couch before she has any clue. I got to the foot of those stairs, and again, it wasn't an audible voice, but it was as loud inside of my spirit as you could ever hear. Don't go upstairs. Don't go upstairs. I said, well, if I ain't going to listen to my wife, I sure ain't going to listen to some crazy voice in my head. I'm going upstairs. So up I went. And I was making the turn into that bedroom to lay down. And I heard it again. You need to get downstairs and you need to open the front door. And I said, this is the craziest thing ever. I'm laying in the bed. I took another step towards that bed, and it got louder. I said, well, I can't sleep with this going on. I'm going to go downstairs and open the door. I got to the foot of the stairs, and I have no idea what happened. I woke up. This was when we had landlines. We had one landline. It was all the way around in the back because my wife had left it next to that couch for me if I needed it. I woke up somehow. I had gotten that. I had fell down the stairs. We had a curio cabinet at the base of the stairs. I went through the curio cabinet and had big cuts on my forehead and everything. I got that phone. I got the door open and I was laying on the floor with that phone just saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And that operator just kept saying, hang on. They're on their way. They're on their way. I saw the feet of the sheriff coming up to the doorstep and I don't remember anything else. I had blood clots. You see where I'm going here? I had blood clots in my legs from laying up at Fort Hamilton. That was back before they did the blood thinners and all that stuff. They had went to my lungs and caused a pulmonary embolism. When the sheriff got in, he said I was already turning grayish color. When he came in, I, I dropped the phone and went unresponsive. He did CPR on me for 12 minutes. No heartbeat, no breath. Just him doing it. The squad got there. They got me loaded up. My wife works at the hospital. She has no idea any of this is going on. Rosie worked at the hospital. Loretta worked at the hospital. They call Code Blue. They said there's a you know, 24-year-old male, yada, yada, yada. They're all waiting like they do. The squad pulls in. The doors open up. I come out, and she falls apart. She had no idea it was me. They're working on me. They're doing blood thinners on me. They're doing all kinds of stuff. My, my pulse was like 240. My blood pressure was bottomed out. My heart, they did get my heart started again and stuff like that. And they told my wife. They said, he was dead. He went without oxygen for too long. He won't make it. But if by miracle he makes it, he will be a vegetable. He will not come out of this normal. They called UC Hospital because Fort wasn't prepared to handle this. They called UC. 
They said, can we send him down there? They told him, they said, don't bother. It's not even worth the time. There was a bad storm coming in that day. This is how God is in every detail. You'll never convince me otherwise. I don't fly. You say, well, I just don't know. I just don't fly. God sent a storm that day so I wouldn't have to fly. Didn't He, hon? The first thing I asked when I came out of ICU, when I was still strapped to the bed with tubes, I couldn't talk, couldn't move. And my wife said, I went like this. I wanted to know if they had flown me. And God sent a storm so I wouldn't have to fly that day. I'm convinced of that. But UC wouldn't take me. They said, we can't care if like the storm's coming. They called Miami Valley the same thing. They didn't want to take me either. Eventually, they talked Miami Valley into it, but the storm was too bad. I think Loretta, I don't know if you were there or you remember, they had to bag me in the ambulance and do it manually all the way up in the squad, about 20 mile an hour up. I-75 couldn't even see because it was raining so bad. It was the squad, my preacher, my wife, and I don't know who else was following them. But we made it to Miami Valley. I was up there for almost two weeks. I, I used to have a big stack of papers from the doctors day one. It was doom and gloom. This guy ain't going to make it. Neurologist said he's no brain activity. He's going to be a vegetable. And every day, without coming out and saying that they were just dumbfounded. They said, we don't know what's going on. This guy's getting better. On the fourth day I was up there, I went completely blind. I don't know if it was where I fell through the um, curio cabinet or just had trauma from the blood clots and there was swelling on my brain. I lost my sight for three days. Couldn't see anything. The plant manager from where I worked. He came up to see me. And I said, I can't see you. But I hear you. And he said, he said, I'm going to pray for you. And he said, you're going to see tomorrow. And I did. You'll never tell me there's not power in prayer. There was people praying for me I never met, never will meet. But I could see again. I got better every day. And two weeks later, they wouldn't let me walk out of there because they got to wheel you out in the wheelchair for insurance purposes. But if I could have, I'd have walked out of there just two weeks after being pronounced dead. They put a, a filter in my inner vena cava, a filter. They're only supposed to keep them filters in for three months and take them out. I don't know why, but they never took mine out. It's still in there. My body's actually grown around it now. Nobody will touch it. I'm saying all that. To, I'm going to the end of this, I promise. I got to the hospital Sunday night with this blood clot in my leg. And I, I knew, I already knew how serious these things are because I've been through this. And the blood doctor came in, and the hematologist came in, and he said, what did you travel? Did you injure your leg? What did you do? to your leg and I said I, doctor I haven't done anything to my leg he said well did you have COVID I said I don't know I was sick a month ago I said and I tested but I didn't test positive but I tested as soon as I felt sick so maybe I was I don't know I haven't had the vaccine if you're wondering no I haven't I don't know what I did but then he asked the question I've never been told this before he said I see on your chart that you've got an IVC filter 
And he said, uh, he said, are you on blood thinners? And I said, no, I've never been on blood thinners. I was on them for three, three or four months when I had my clot. He's like, his eyes got about as big around as that thing. He said, you know them IVC filters are dangerous. And I said, well, I've heard that. And I said, but it makes no sense to me because I thought they were good. And he said, they are good. He said, they're good if you've got clots in your legs and they put them in because they'll keep the clots from going up and causing you any problems. He said, but they're supposed to take them out because once they're in there long term, they cause clots. He said, I've never heard of someone having a filter in them for 18 years and not being on blood thinner and never having a blood clot. My point to say all that is this. God has went every step with me. That clot in my leg could have killed me this week. But God put a filter in there 18 years ago that should have come out. And I, I, I mean, I don't know what caused it. I don't know if I have to be on blood thinners the rest of my life. And frankly, I don't care. My wife, you know, she, she worries, obviously, as a lot of wives and women do. As soon as I got home, the next night our refrigerator went out. All our food was ruined. She's all tore up. And I'm just like, you know, I think sometimes she, she wonders, like, why aren't, why aren't you tore up about this stuff? Like, you, you got a blood clot in your leg, our refrigerator's broke. Uh, cry a little bit here, do something. But I've just been through so much and I've seen God move so much. My face not dependent on my health anymore. I'm not saying I don't get down and I don't worry and stuff I do. But my faith isn't rooted in a refrigerator. It's just not. Because I know what God's done for me and I know who He is. And if, if I have to, you know, I mean, I like a cold glass of milk and two scoops of ch- uh, chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream too and I haven't been able to have none of them, but you know what? I ain't going hungry. You guys have blessed us in so many ways and God's been so good and my hope doesn't rest on that stuff. But I'll say this and I'm done. I promise. I know I went long, but I just want to, I want to make sure I share this like God wants me to. Verse 5, he says, you, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. I said that God communes with us, He clears away, and the last one is He covers us. The New Living Translation says that you go before me and you follow me. God's got my front and my back. He takes care of me. There's been two times in my life where I felt like Satan himself pulled a chair up next to me and was having an attack on me. I'm not saying he did that, but it felt like it. 2019 and this week, when I, when, when I was at Freedom, and a lot of you know this, and I went through everything that we went through that that year. My dad died in February. My preacher that I idolized was accused of rape and was sent to prison. And then all the junk that was happening behind the scenes in church. I was at the lowest place spiritually that I've ever been. Brother Jeff was there and there's other people that was that was in that in those meetings and and was part of that stuff. And I'll never forget when it all come to a head 
And I brought my Bible, and Jeff, Jeff knows he was there. And I said, I'm going to read to you what the Bible says. And basically, in a nutshell, the response was, we got a bylaws. And I said, well, I got a Bible. And I don't care what your bylaws says if it don't line up with the Bible. God is my witness. Am I lying? Jeff, Jeff, Jeff will tell you. And I made up my mind that night that I was done. I was done. I was done pastoring at that church, but to be honest with you, I was done, period. And I sat at my desk, and the chair rolled up next to me, or so it felt like, and there he was in my ear. You remember your pastor? You remember how his wife was sick for 25 years, laid on the couch, she couldn't move, she had a feeding tube and was on all kinds of medicine. She had had a breast removed for cancer and they put an implant in and it leaked and she was poisoned. And for 25 years, he had to care for her, take her to doctor visits every week, do everything for her. And, he, and, he, and this, the enemy in my ear, you see him now? She's sick. He's sick. They're barely making it. And the church is nowhere to be found. He gave his whole life to them. And when they need him, now they're gone. And that's going to be the same thing that happens to you. You might as well forget them and go back to the world. And buddy, I was eating it up. I said, yeah, you're right. They, do, they could care less. I gave six years of my life to this church. And now they're trying to run me out of here. And they, they're, I mean, I was just eating it up. I was just eating it up. And I told my wife, you know, we had a long talk, and I said, I'm done. I said, I will be a greeter at Walmart before I ever stand in the pulpit of a church again and go through that. And God had already went before me. He already had a name, K. Russo. I didn't even know what that was. I still have it on my computer. I can type it out and show you. The date is still stamped if you think that I made this up. The date is stamped on that thing two weeks before I left Freedom. And I just typed out, the name of this church shall be Caruso Baptist. Or no, it was just Caruso Church. There wasn't even a Baptist in it at that point. Caruso Church. And man, God just, Jeff, again, Jeff was there. Chad was there. There's, there's folks in this room that's been there since day one. We, we tried to find a place. We called schools. Nobody would let us. I mean, they'd let us, but we didn't have no insurance. I got a call from two preacher friends here in town. Both offered their church. We ended up in Fairfield at East River Road, met on Saturdays, met on Thursdays. The church grew. A lot of you have been there since day one. And here we are. God opened up this door. I got a call from Pastor Michael. Never met Michael in my life. Never been in this place. I had met Michael once before. I'll take that back. Met him once before. Didn't know much about him. This church was here. They were dwindling down. They had done a good job of trying to keep the building up, but they weren't growing and just had some needs. God brought us out here. We joined together. We now have this building. It's debt-free with land. I mean, everything, everything God has provided, guys. He has went before me in every step of this thing. From the day that that goofy maintenance man with the bubble gum and the mullet started talking to me until today, God has been putting all these pieces together because He knows me intimately. He clears the path for me. And He covers me. And it ain't just me. That's what He does for His people. 
Look at the end of verse 5. It says he's, he lays his hand upon me. I want to close with that today. I'm going to invite Phyllis to come. God may have his hand upon you this morning. You may feel a nudge in your heart that says, I know today without a shadow of a doubt that I need that relationship with Jesus like Pastor said he needed to have. 